Coming up on today's show, UCP leadership candidate Brian Jean will join us. We'll also speak with economist Moshe Lander and find out why it's expensive to bring in another national holiday. And we'll have a conversation as well about health care. Why aren't we hearing that much about it when we talk about the UCP leadership race? It's on your mind, but are candidates meeting you? All right. Be continuing now with our uh, leadership candidate interviews. The second and final round of them. Uh, all of the UCP leadership candidates have been invited to join us, and uh, all of them did the first time around, and we're hopeful that all of them will again the second time around. Right now, uh, very pleased to welcome Brian Jean to the show. Uh, Mr. Jean, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Shay, my pleasure, and I, I thought we got past Mr. Jean almost a decade ago, but <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> please tell me, Brian, please. Old habits die hard. Um, I, I want to start with what I think has become one of the most... Um, talked about moments in this campaign, and it was quite remarkable. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen it before. You and three of your campaign rivals coming together on one stage to denounce another candidate's policy, that being, of course, Daniel Smith's Sovereignty Act. Tell me how that moment came about. Were you behind the effort to get everybody uh, in the same place at the same time? How did it happen? Well, it's no secret that, um, you know, I, I called and talked to many of the candidates and talked to them uh, in relation to what was happening and where we were going. And, you know, my campaign has always been about autonomy for Albertans, but, you know, giving people more control over their lives. But during that process, I always tell them the truth. You know, I, I want to make people, Albertans, happier, healthier, more free and more prosperous, uh, the most of anybody in the world. And I think it's definitely possible. But, uh, you know, the Sovereignty Act uh, or the blank piece of paper that we've seen we still don't know which Sovereignty Act is going to be proposed uh, or which one we will get, the unconstitutional version, which will be quashed by the courts and, frankly, won't go anywhere and will damage our premier and our province. Uh, but, uh, you know, or the other one, uh, which is, uh, you know, a, a document that, frankly, will be meaningless. It's a non-binding motion that is actually more dangerous because it will make people supporting it angry. And uh, when they see that they can't do anything about it except for, say, words... I just don't think it's going to help, and I don't believe that you should tell people you're going to do things that you cannot do. It is a formula that harms democracy, and I think people already have distrust enough for politicians, and we need to get them to trust us, not to distrust us. So I've raised my concerns, and now it is up to the voters, but uh, I think it's clear that I've called out, and other candidates have called out something that is, frankly, a fairy tale. Um and of course, that's that's the one side of the argument. And I, and I can't tell you how many texts and I've already got some this morning from people saying it smells of desperation. It smells of fear. They're running scared. Are, are you concerned about where this race appears to be headed? I mean, we've still got almost a month to go. We do. Uh, probably 30 to 50 percent of the people have already voted. But, I'm, you know, th this does not reek of desperation. Uh, this reeks of I don't want to, you know, clearly, let's just say that, you know, I don't want to make up things along the rise. And I never have. Uh, this is not about anybody but Danielle. It's not about an anyone but Danielle thing. I mean, I've, I've uh, cleaned up Danielle's messes before. I know what it's all about. I was part after the floor crossing, I had to go in and, and run for the leadership and then deal with all of that at the door. And I will tell you, there was a lot of disgusted Albertans at the door. And it was very difficult to explain to them that I wasn't part of that floor crossing. But this isn't, this is anything but tricking members thing. This isn't personal against Danielle. It's not an anybody but Danielle thing, but I don't want to trick members and then not say anything and then come back and six months or eight months, and they're going to be very angry because people are angry. You go to rural Alberta, people are upset and angry because they feel that we're not getting a fair shake from Ottawa. And, um, you know, that's why I propose to follow the rules, the rules of the Constitution, open up the, open up the Constitution, and let's have, a, let's have a discussion. Let's 
that are on the table. And even she's admitted that with the Sovereignty Act or whatever it is, um, sooner or later we're going to have to get to negotiations because that's the only thing, the only way things change is negotiations. Just like a bad marriage, just like a bad partnership, let's get to the table and let's have a discussion and let's change things. And the other provinces are ready right now. They really, really are ready. Healthcare is a mess and they know if it continues like this, it's, uh, it's going to be, frankly, provinces are going to go bankrupt. And they're going to turn the health care back over to the federal government because they're starving us on money. And that's why we need to go and have that discussion. We need to have the discussion about the pipeline ban. Just about every province has joined our appeal on the pipeline ban that the federal government has imposed because it's a clear jurisdictional issue and they have infringed on provincial jurisdiction. And that's why all the provinces are coming to the table. And that's what we need to do is come to the table and hold the federal government to account. Don't let them use our money to extort our behavior. Uh, let's let's make sure that uh, we are united as provinces and, and we get a fair deal because all of us are in the same boat right now. We're very unhappy with Confederation. I'm glad you bring up healthcare because I wanted to ask you. I mean, I think so much of this campaign has been dominated by the Sovereignty Act, and some other issues need to, we need to talk about. And I'm glad you're bringing up healthcare. Let me let me just put an example to you: a situation, and I'm sure you've heard the story in Calgary. A young man injured in a hockey practice. He spent 45 minutes lying on the ice before um, the fire department came and helped him out. An ambulance was never sent because there were never one available. I mean, we've got you know frontline primary care concerns with healthcare. Shouldn't we be talking about that? And what's your plan to make that better if I need to go see a doctor this weekend? Shay, you are absolutely right. I have said this time and time again. Every, everybody's dominated by a blank piece of paper. We don't even know what's going to be on it. It's all about talk and the posturing. Healthcare is falling apart. In my own riding, we've seen the hospitals close down for the weekend. That, that means, you know, a population of six to 8,000 yeah. people don't have a hospital within any kind of range. The justice system, we have, you know, rural crime is up 42%. Our education system is frankly not like it was. It's not number one in the world, and we need to get back to educating kids, not talking about politics and politicizing their behavior and, and what they, their expectation is. We need to get back to real classical education where our kids are number one in the world again. And, and let's talk about mental health for a second. Nobody's talking about it, but, you know, as a society, we need to talk about mental health. We need to make it part of our health care. We need to make it part of the health care formula so that we get people the health, the mental health care, so they can avoid the physical health care because, you know, mental health is a big issue right now. And we as a society just keep ignoring it. And I think we have to make it a serious part of what we need to do for our healthcare system here in Alberta. And, you know, we spend almost 50% of our budget on healthcare and it's climbing every single year. And our, our outcomes are frankly very dismal compared to other countries in the world, other developed countries. It's very dismal and we pay more than anywhere else. So yes, I agree with you, Shay. Let's get, let's get past the piece of paper that's actually blank and we don't know what's going to come forward. And let's talk about the things that really matter. And let's talk about who's going to fix that. And, Shay, you know I lost my son to healthcare in Edmonton, yeah. and um, you know I've I've owned a house ever since. I've been there ever since because I believe healthcare is a very very important issue, and the number one issue for me in this campaign is healthcare, mental health, physical health, making sure that we get our hospitals open, making sure we have enough doctors, enough nurses, enough nurse practitioners, enough physicians assistants. I promise this, and I have the most comprehensive healthcare plan uh, and platform out there, and it's uh, frankly years and years and years of looking at it, looking at what the federal government's requirements are, looking at what other provinces are doing, and, and frankly, looking at what the world's doing. Northern Europe has some great health care. They have, they have the ability for our seniors to stay at home and to save a ton of money, but more than that, get a better quality of life and better physical care for them. And there's so many opportunities. The, the Auditor General's report in 2017 laid out specifically what we need to do to fix our health care system, and what have we done? Nothing. It sits, on the, it sits on a shelf somewhere, and we haven't actually addressed the issue. And it's not money. It's all about behavior and operations and things that I'm good at, setting up things that work. And I'm, I will promise Albertans that 
if I do nothing else, uh, I will fix our health care system, mental health care system, our justice system, and make sure that education is number one again and stays in the hands of parents. Okay, Brian, I'll, I'll just go back to, to where, where we started, and I appreciate you um, talking about all those issues. I think they're all important. Um, but, for example, this, this, this kid lying on the ice for 45 minutes, and he's not the only one. We've seen pictures of people lying on the floor in the Misericordia ER garage um, this weekend. What or, do you, or, okay, or you're elected, you're the leader. What do you do this weekend to make sure that that stops? immediately enable our our uh, nurse practitioners the legislative change so that 700 nurse practitioners can get out and rule Alberta and keep these hospitals open. Change the regulations so that we don't have all this red tape that requires all of these things that aren't real health care, that are just impractical steps on where we are right now and the expectation of AHS. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, I watched my son die for five months in the health care system, and it could have been avoided 100%. It is the system that is broken, and it's not the people, but we need to get more people. We need to look at opportunities for foreign credential recognition immediately. We need to train nurses that are already partially trained and ready to come to Canada. We need to get them into our schools and colleges right across Alberta that are empty right now, by the way. Portage College, um, you know, Keanu College there. They have space available for more nurses for the ability for us to train people immediately. So it's there's no silver bullet, but I've got a lot of silver bullets that are part of um, the solution. and. They're there. They're very, they're very clear on Facebook or BrianGene.ca. It lays out a very comprehensive healthcare plan, and we don't have to uh, reinvent the wheel. We just have to get at yeah. the serious need of healthcare. And, and one of the things we have to do is stop closing hospitals wherever they are. Stop closing them. Get the people in there. Get them ready. And and Shay, we know right now that we pay more for healthcare than anybody else. Of course, pretty much in the world. Yeah. yeah. And our outcomes are like dismal. They're they're under the thirty as far as developed countries. So we know we can fix it, but we need to fix it utilizing the people, the, the nurses, the doctors, the, the technicians, the nurse practitioners. We need to get them as part of the solution because they are the pillars of our community. And I think a lot of politicians think they're the enemy, and I don't get that because they're the people that set up our communities to make them communities and, and heal the sick. Um, we need to be respectful to them and make them part of the solution, not part of the problem. And I think that's something that has not been done properly, and, and that's why I keep saying the same thing, you know, Nurses, doctors, all of these people that work, teachers included, they are the pillars of our community and we have to respect them and we have to listen to them and we have to make them part of the solution going forward because they want what we want. Better health care, yeah, better yeah. education. Better communities, yeah. Um, okay, last one and then I'll let you out of here. Same question I, I'm asking all of the candidates. Should you not be elected leader? Do you stick around? Do you run in the next election? Uh, do you become part of the team? This is all about unity. It is about unity and that's why I'm back. Uh, you know, a year ago, I made it very clear that we need to renew the party in order to be competitive against the NDP. I don't want to lose to the NDP. I saw what they did last time, and I think my town will be devastated. Our our province will be devastated, and I don't think people see uh, clearly what, what took place. So it is about unity. I'm here to unify the party, and, and win or lose, I'm going to be staying um, to make sure that we beat the NDP in the next election, and, and that's what it's all about, clearly, because I think we have better policies. Um, we have better principles, and frankly, we, we search for better outcomes. We just need to make sure we have the right leader in place, and I believe I am that leader, and that's why I'm asking people to vote number one on the ballot next week. Uh, at least keep me on the ballot. Vote the entire ballot. Like, vote all seven people. Um, I would ask people to put me in number one and put Daniel Smith at number seven because I think uh, the truth is that she would be a good part of the cabinet, good part of the caucus, but these kind of behaviors and these kind of signals from leaders are very damaging to the party and, and frankly, to the province. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us as always, sir. Everybody likes a holiday, right? Well, maybe not. 
based on what we're seeing uh, in response to the federal government's plans to uh, declare Monday a national day of mourning and grant a holiday for all federal government workers. That's where they drew the line. It's a federal holiday, which typically would mean federal government workers and anybody who works in any federally regulated industries, which include the industry I'm working in right now, um, airlines, things like that. There's a whole bunch of them, but they've said no. It's only federal government workers. That's all we're dealing with. Federally regulated, you're going to fall under the provincial decision. And it doesn't look like it's taking off with the provinces. We've got BC, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Newfoundland, Labrador following suit. Government offices, schools will be closed. Manitoba closing non-essential government services and offices. Schools remain open, though. Other than that, Saskatchewan, Ontario, and Quebec saying, yeah, no, it's not a holiday here. Not happening. We still haven't heard from Alberta. We don't know what the plan is there uh, yet, but um, speculation is it won't be a holiday in Alberta either, and there's some really good reasons for it. Uh, perhaps more than anything else is the cost that it downloads onto business and the money that it takes out of the economy. So uh, there was a statement from Bank of Montreal just yes, uh, earlier yesterday saying that, you know, a stat holiday costs our economy about $4 billion. It's a lot of money. So Let's get into it and find out exactly how these costs add up and why a lot of provinces are saying, yeah, no, we're not going to throw another holiday into September. Joining us to talk about that, we have Moshe Lander. Moshe is a um, senior lecturer in economics at Concordia University in Montreal, lives in Alberta, host of the Moshe Lander Show, which begins on October 13th. Moshe, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time as always. My pleasure. Okay. Uh, three holidays in one month, uh, varying degrees, of course, with Labor Day, this, and Truth and Reconciliation Day on the 30th. It is a lot to ask, and that's a tremendous hardship on business owners, isn't it? Three stat holidays. It, it is, especially if you're actually forced to close, right? We do have stat holidays where you find that businesses look the other way and just say we're going ahead with it anyway. Yeah. Um, but yes, if you're going to force people unwillingly to shut their doors... Uh, with no way to make that back. Yeah, that, that adds up, like you said, to about $4 billion. And the cost, you know, if you take a look at it and say, okay, well, you're allowed to open if you want. Okay, but now my staff is going to cost me an extra 50% because i got to pay everybody time and half. So it's not really a choice. You close the doors or you spend a lot more in staffing costs. Yeah, and you're probably already spending more in staffing costs already because you're having a hard time finding that staff to begin with, right? How many stories have yeah. you done where we're talking about labor shortages and finding the right people to... to fill your place. So yeah, it, it can quickly add up to uh, a lose-lose proposition for, for businesses either way. So, I mean, when we take a look at that $4 billion, I mean, that's a huge amount of money for a single day. How do, it, it, It's not just staffing costs. I mean, wh what else goes into the fact that we're pulling $4 billion out of the economy? I think it's 0.2% of GDP or something like that. Well, I, you know, I, I'd also point out, though, that when calculating that number, I'm not sure that anything much more than if the Canadian economy is about $2 trillion in size, let's divide that by the number of operating days, uh, and that's kind of a quick, dirty estimate of how much is actually going on. So I'm not sure that you know anybody's actually sitting there going around for business to business saying, what is it exactly that we're losing out in sales on September 19, and can yeah. we make any sort of reasonable estimates? So you know, it, it, it's probably more just a rough back-of-the-envelope uh, approximation that, hey, there is going to be some lost sales here that happen, and those sales then are going to trickle their way down into 
lost wages and uh, people who are going to not have to pay for daycare because the kids are going to be home from school. Um, and if you have to go to work, you have to still find something for them to do during the day. Those types of uh, extra costs as well are probably factored into that number. Yeah, exactly. And I- I'm just wondering, is there a problem by doing it the way that the federal government did it yesterday, saying, okay, we're going to grant the holiday, but not the way we typically would. Federally regulated workers, you're at the mercy of the provinces. So now we've got this patchwork happening across the country. I mean, I guess it happens in other instances, but is that another complicating factor? It is, but I think that's maybe a sign that the federal government didn't want to take a particular stance on the Queen, right? When she died last week, the immediate outpouring of grief was kind of pretty universal. And then all of a sudden, people start turning around saying, wait a second, I'm not entirely sure that she's going to be missed. And so I think the the federal government here is maybe trying to read the signs that are coming out, especially in Quebec, where I'm sitting right now. It's a very complicated relationship with the monarchy uh, when it comes to dealing (laughs) with English-French relations that, you know, if you start mandating that this is the day you have to take off, uh, I think there would have been pushback, and so I think they realized that they were going to lose that. So maybe just dump it down to the province and say, "You guys, you guys. Right. <laughs> I want to deal with with your uh, various populations and leave us out of it." I think you're absolutely right, Moshe. Great insight as always. Thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Yesterday on the show, we had Janet Brown join us. She's a pollster in our province and a political commentator. And she said that her polling shows that on the minds of Albertans uh, during this UCP leadership campaign is uh, the top issues, what they want to hear about, inflation and health care, one, two. Um, and, you know, we had Brian Jean on this morning, and I sort of pushed him to talk about health care and what his solutions might be, because I don't know. We've heard some talk. That, I mean, to her credit, Danielle Smith put out a statement yesterday about her plans for health care, and it focuses uh, largely on AHS and the bureaucracy, which I think is um, a fair avenue of investigation. I think it's been done before. I don't know what else there is to learn about that. But you know what? That's definitely something that a lot of people would like to see. She says she'll fire the head of AHS. But but I'm talking more about healthcare, where you and I interface with it, right? We don't, we don't deal with the AHS bureaucracy, but when we, you know, get hurt, at the rink, like the kid in Calgary, and lie on the ice for 45 minutes waiting for an ambulance, that's when we're worried about healthcare. When we're lying on the floor of the garage at the Misericordia Hospital outside of the ER for hours on end, that's when we start to talk about healthcare, right? Um, so that's what I think people in this province are talking about. I can't get and see a doctor. I can't get into the ER. Those are the issues. And you know what? We haven't heard a lot of talk about that during this campaign, and it's unfortunate, but why is that? You know, I mean, that hasn't been the focus. Um, we're going to chat with Stephen Lewis, who's a health policy consultant and an adjunct prof of health at SFU. Uh, Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Yeah, when we take a look at, you know, I was thinking about the healthcare discussion in this campaign, and really, largely, it's all been um, about sort of looking in the rearview mirror, specifically around the pandemic and the way that it was handled and those sorts of things. Not a lot of talk about what we're going to do in ERs this weekend, next month, or next year? Yeah, it's pretty thin gruel, I'm afraid. Uh, I've looked at all of the candidates' platforms, what they've said on the net and the occasional media release, and there seem to be kind of two camps. Uh, A couple of them, I think notably candidates Sawney and Schultz, made some attempt to talk about bigger health issues and more root cause health issues, like the problem in primary care and access to care 
and whether or not there should be more community health centers and a more comprehensive approach. But then there are others uh, who have focused on, as you mentioned, uh, the bogeyman of AHS bureaucracy, which always comes up, and it's always comes ironic. up. It always comes up. And remember, I, I realize that these candidates won't take responsibility for what took place a decade ago, but this government or its predecessor government um, created AHS, and the rationale was these health regions are too bureaucratic and they're too autonomous, and it's hard to get province-wide standards and the Alberta advantages in creating a single health authority. And now uh, the, uh, there seems to be a big challenge to this notion that AHS needs to be decentralized. Smith has talked about reinstating individual hospital boards. Uh, candidate Caves has said, yes, we need to decentralize AHS. And, of course, there's always the charge that this is some giant bloated bureaucracy that uh, all we need to do is get rid of some managers and all will be well. So I have to say there isn't a whole lot of imagination in any of the platforms, and it's kind of uh, as if the candidates thought, well, if we're going to try to win a leadership here, which is the first step, uh, and we're not running an election campaign, how do we differentiate ourselves? And some of them have simply said, well, we're going to show our anti-vaccine mandate, anti-lockdown credentials, and we're going to essentially, in some cases, get rid of the whole concept of public health, that people have rights full stop, employers have to accommodate people who choose not to get vaccinated, the chief public health officer should no longer have any independent authority, but should uh, all of these decisions should be made in the legislature or by the cabinet. So that obviously is an appeal to the hard libertarian core of the party membership, and that's who they're vying for. Missed opportunity, though, right, Stephen? I mean, this is a major issue that we're dealing with in this province, and every day there's another story, and I think a lot of, you know, Albertans would be very, very interested in hearing somebody with a really solid, concrete plan on how to address it. To me, it it seems like there's an opportunity there. It's an enormous missed opportunity, and again, partisanship aside, wherever you lie on the political spectrum, there are some deep and serious and ongoing problems. Yes. The biggest one, I would argue, is uh, primary care. And it's not just the 700,000 or so Albertans who don't have a regular source of care, but it's also that the system, despite 40 years of, of calls for, for being more comprehensive, more team-based care, offering a wider array uh, of services so that people don't have to get referred to specialists so quickly and so on, that's a deep-seated problem. It's not unique to Alberta, but somebody has to solve it. And then right. secondly, the pandemic did disrupt the healthcare system. It did challenge and tax the capacity. And now you have this enormous uh, surgical backlog. Again, nothing unique to Alberta here, but it is a massive, massive problem, and there needs to be a way to address it. So now the time is ripe to consider some of those reforms that have been contemplated for a long time but never seem to get done. Yes. I think there's an appetite in the healthcare workforce for it. I think younger physicians are perfectly willing to uh, get off the fee-for-service treadmill and practice in teams. It's clear that despite having more physicians than ever in this country and in Alberta, a whole lot of young 
physicians don't want to provide full-service primary care because they don't like the working conditions or some other aspects. Yeah, and they don't want so to be out in the rural, you know, healthcare system. That, and we always say, we're just, we'll just entice them out there. Well, we've tried that. That doesn't work either. It, it doesn't work. I mean, the, the traditional ways of doing it haven't worked. It's not a question of paying them more money. That's, that's satisfying for a few months. But if your working conditions are still difficult, you're still on call every other night, and you're still carrying an enormous load, it's not going to be satisfying. So what we need to do in rural areas is, is to some extent consolidate care into clinics, into clinics with, with other professions working alongside them, where there are at least three physicians, so they can have decent work-life life balance. And for the people, for the public out there, yes, you may have to travel half an hour to get to that clinic, and I realize that's inconvenient, yeah. but it will be much better care, and you'll get much better service. And then the other thing you mentioned, which is a real concern and, and should be met, of course, we need, and Alberta sh- is, is, should have, a first-rate emergency service uh, that covers urban and rural areas. And I think in large measure, for real emergencies, for, for you know, trauma, heart attacks, sure. and so on, Alberta does a very good job. But if you've got a system where hospital beds periodically are going to be full of people with a communicable disease, uh, all bets are off about the capacity. Mm-hmm. And either you have a very robust approach to public health, which can contain pandemics uh, when and if they should come again in the future, or you're going to find yourself constantly uh, at various intervals in a situation where the a lot of the capacity of the system has to be reserved for responding to an unforeseen uh, emergency or, or new pandemic, and then you're going to be in this cycle again. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, as you say, the cycle, I mean, it just continues. We've been talking about this for decades, but uh, like you say, we're looking for somebody to come up and come up with a solution. Um, Stephen, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.